over the years, a lot of broad strokes have been painted regarding Ariel Pink, the dude. Isolated misogynist, innovative lo-fi melody maker and hypnagogic pop icon, conservative curmudgeon, ashram heroin connection, really doesn't matter. He's an individual and just as complicated as the rest of us. The same can be said about his music. Ariel Pink's 2017 album dedicated to Bobby Jameson is a strange universe of often conflicting pop melodies created in isolation with little outside influence. It's a beautiful lo-fi celebration of individuality. My favorite Ariel Pink record, no doubt. I'm Brennan. Welcome to Boogie Chits. Ariel Pink was born Ariel Rosenberg in June 1978. He's 45 years old. His father has an interesting backstory. Mario Rosenberg, Harvard-educated gastroenterologist born in Mexico City to a Jewish family. He met Ariel's mother, Linda, while doing medical coursework at Tulane Hospital in New Orleans. They got married, banged, and Ariel was born. Three years later, they divorced. Quick turnaround. Ariel remained with his mother in Louisiana while Dr. Mario hit the road for California. During his grade school years, Ariel has said he was a maladjusted child. His mother, Linda, said he was a loner. Even as a kid, he played better by himself. Ariel was very much into MTV like the rest of us in the 80s. Big Michael Jackson fan. Then he got into hard rock and hair once he hit junior high. Def Leppard, Metallica, Anthrax, most notably. Ariel was also bullied relentlessly. He has said himself that he was weird. Not that that's an excuse for bullying, but that's where he was at. The bullying was so bad that his parents both agreed to send him to Mexico City for a year to live with his cousins. That's uh, Dr. Mario's family. Down in Mexico, 13-year-old Ariel loses his virginity to a prostitute. Nice. And also discovers The Cure, a band that he would hold onto in the highest regard moving forward. The Cure, I know they get this like sort of thing, like label about them. They are pure celebra- celebratory rock and roll to me. I, I was late going in deep with the, the Cure like 15 years ago, I want to say. I started like running through their catalog. 17 Seconds, Faith, The Head on the Door, those like early ones. Gang bang your ears with these if you haven't already. They're just, they're awesome. Awesome band. Ariel is ready to uh, leave Mexico City and he- head back to the U.S. as high school is on the horizon. This time, though, instead of going back to Louisiana where he was bullied and rejected by classmates, plus he's got those vampires at Bill Compton and Snack Snackhouse in the sticks, forget it. Ariel heads to Beverly Hills to live with his father, Dr. Mario, who, is, who now has a great medical practice going. No-brainer right there. Beverly Hills High School is where Ariel would come of age. He ditches all his uh, Def Leppard and crotch rock, r- crotch rock records and becomes goth. He gets into Bauhaus, Lou Reed, still loves The Cure. After Nirvana hits the mainstream, Ariel ceases listening to any new music that comes out. That was the last popular band he ever got into, I think to this day. Ariel says, after that, my listening was totally retro. My mind was closing itself off from the rest of the planet. That quote from Ariel really foreshadows the music he would create leading up to and including the album we're talking about today. 
Retro Isolation. While in high school in 1996, Ariel finds a portable tape recorder in Dr. Mario's garage and begins composing and recording avant-garde experimental songs by himself in his bedroom. He couldn't really play any instruments, not that he had any. Well, his hardware was a bass guitar, an amp, and kitchen utensils. This starts what Ariel would call an eight-year-long recording session in which he was very completely single-minded. He had complete tunnel vision and would just bang out one cassette recording of material after the other. Ariel's first seven physical record releases were made, they're made up of material he recorded at home on cassettes during, from like 1996 to 2004. To me, his catalog is two stages leading up to Jameson. You got seven swirly home recording albums, and then you have three traditionally formatted like professional releases leading to number 11, which is uh, Bobby Jameson. So in 1997, after graduating from Bev Hills High, Ariel enrolls at California Institute of the Arts. Kelly Taylor would have been repulsed by Ariel Rosenberg. He would, uh, so at CalArts, Ariel would become best friends and roommates with a guy named John Mouse, uh, M-A-U-S. John would become a frequent collaborator with Ariel on both of their material, he has a pretty weird catalog of his own. He would, you know, he'd play bat in uh, Ariel's backing band from time to time. This is funny. One of the art school projects Ariel worked on with a fellow student was called The Last Art Piece. So it was a three foot tall illustration of CalArts faculty and students having an orgy. And it like looked realistic. One of the professors de- Depicted in the piece, he unsuccessfully tried to sue the school for sexual harassment. Ariel records his first album, Underground, in 1999, and then The Doldrums in 2000. That's during his final semester when he was at uh, CalArts. Using an 8-track port-a-studio recorder, a guitar with only three strings, and mouth noises to create drum sounds. He also mailed a CDR copy of the doldrums to R. Stevie Moore, who is generally considered the godfather of, of home recording. Lo-fi legend. Ariel has often cited R. Stevie Moore as his mentor. Interesting tidbit about R. Stevie. He is the son of bassist Bob Moore, who was a member of the legendary Nashville A-Team. The Nashville A-Team was a group of first-call studio musicians that backed countless big names, big-name musical acts starting in the 1950s. Here's a small list of some of the artists Bob Moore played uh, bass behind. Elvis Presley, Sammy Davis Jr., Julie Andrews, Wayne Newton, and Patti Page. He also did song arrangements for uh, Roy Orbison. Our Stevie Moore loved what Ariel was all about and... They would become friends and collaborate in the years to come. They've done an album together. I forget what it's called. As far as a degree from CalArts goes for Ariel, didn't happen. He dropped out and moved into a Hindu ashram commune in the Crenshaw neighborhood of Los Angeles. He would introduce and I suppose sell heroin at the place while also working at a record store. During this period, he would record five more albums under the Ariel Pink's haunted graffiti name. Scared Famous and Fast Forward in 2001, House Arrest and Lover Boy in 2002, and then Worn Copy in 2003. 
He now has like 300 cassettes of home-recorded lo-fi material, portions of which of which have now been recorded into seven proper studio albums. At this point in 2004, Ariel would stop writing and recording music for the next five years. So he Ariel had quietly stocked quite a catalog of unique pop and it would land him in the title of being one of the innovators of the chill wave genre of the 2000s. Hypnagogic pop, chill wave, vapor wave, all interchangeable tags. It's classified as psychedelic pop made on lo-fi and outdated equipment that evokes cultural memory and nostalgia from entertainment of the past, mostly the 80s. It's a musical version of the philosophical philosophical concept known as hauntology, which we'll get into once we get Bobby Jameson rolling. Ariel became fascinated with the f- philosophical concept called hauntology during the years he was home recording this uh, first grip of albums. Worn Copy, the last of Ariel's albums recorded at the Heroin Commune, would find its way into the ears of mega-popular experimental band Animal Collective, who had just at this time released the critically beloved album Sun Tongs. They had their own label called Paw Tracks and immediately signed Ariel Pink. Ariel had stopped writing new music, so Paw Tracks gave formal releases to three albums that Ariel had already put out independently. The Doldrums, that would actually be the first non-animal collective record that the label ever put out. House Arrest and then Worn Copy, those three. Scared Famous, Fast Forward, and Lover Boy would also be given the formal pressing treatment, and but they were released on, on separate smaller labels. After signing with Paw Tracks in 2004, Ariel decides to bring what he's been doing in bedrooms and crack house living rooms for the past eight years to the stage. He starts playing live gigs. Complete disaster from the get-go. He opens for Animal Collective basically in like karaoke style. He has a PA play the music and he sings the vocals with a separate microphone. Gets booed every night. He then puts together a backing band, which basically becomes the Haunted Graffiti Band, which is like the full artist name label in most of his seven releases up to that point. The backing band includes his college buddy, John Mouse, and then a bunch of weirdos with cool names like Gary War, Jimmy Hay, Ariel's girlfriend at the time, Geneva Jacuzzi, and Cole M. Grief Neal. That last guy, Cole, he said this of Ariel's reputation in the, in the L.A. music scene at that time. He was considered a lame drug guy. Hmm. So uh, still not good. The band members had trouble learning the, the uniquely complicated material, didn't get paid, and were ignored or heckled every night. You know, the simple fact was that Ariel was not a musician, and most of these hundreds of songs he had written were never intended to be played live. Ariel's own words sum up this first wave of his of his music best. I'm just this fake musician who really gets off on people thinking he's a musician. By 2008, Ariel Pink and his band have started to get their shit together live. He gets a competent multi-instrumentalist named Kenny Gilmore into the fold, as well as bassist Tim Coe, who called Ariel's songs the most difficult music I've ever tried to play. Even the stuff that sounded simple took months to figure out. With the official release of seven albums by Paw Tracks and others, plus getting out there and touring, Ariel Pink's Haunted Graffiti begins rising to the surface of the uh, indie music buzz bowl. In 2009, 
Ariel Pink catches a break even he can't be cynical about. He gets signed to legendary London label 4AD. That label is filled with awesomeness, both past and present. Pixies, Cocked Out Twins, TV on the Radio, St. Vincent, Deer Hunter, Big Thief, Future Islands, U.S. Girls. Ariel is doing the fake musician thing really well with that uh, set of label mates. Next up is Ariel Pink's eighth studio album, Before Today, released in June 2010. Before Today contains the first new material Ariel had written since 2003 and the first time Ariel has recorded in a proper recording studio, House of Blues in Encino. Another first, he records Before Today with a full backing band. He has the live Haunted Graffiti band, plus like nine or ten additional musician friends that play horns, violin, etc. Pretty much every musician on the album said it was a nightmare to record. Uh, before today is where I would start with Ariel Pink. This this next run of four albums, including Bobby Jameson, that's a good starting point. Then, if interested, go back and find Chestnuts in the in that first run of albums that he made at home. It, it's quite a task. Lover Boy has some has some some good nuggets on it. Before today was a huge critical hit. It was considered a, a second win for Ariel Pink, an obscure artist otherwise destined for cultural purgatory. Pitchfork named the album's uh, main song Round and Round the best track of 2010. You can hear Round and Round, you've probably heard in the wild. Like, it'll be played at like, I, I don't know, I feel like I've heard it at a supermarket. Shop right of Greater Morristown, I want to say. Village Radio, they, they, they play good stuff on that, on the radio there. Like the house music. Um... So this is what, like I said, this is where I would start dipping into the uh, Ariel Pink disc hole, if you will. I was pretty locked in right from the get-go with uh, Before Today. Opening some hot body rub is hilarious. Plus the overall like 1970s pastel man-prostitute art aesthetic of the whole thing. I, I was intrigued with, um, with Ariel Pink right from as soon as I bought the CD. So Ariel would struggle to keep his band together for the next couple years, but they would pump out the also phenomenal Mature Themes in 2012. It's a bit more professional sounding and flamboyant than before today, but if you enjoy the catchy silliness of Ariel Pink, you can make a clean beeline right to Mature Themes. Pitchfork once again rubbed its flaccid little plonker all over an Ariel Pink release and gave Mature Themes a super cheerful review. This is also the final album tagged under the Ariel Pink's Haunted Graffiti moniker. Mature Themes is my third favorite Ariel Pink after Bobby Jameson and before today. Who sunk my battleship? I sunk my battleship. It's fantastic. It's, it's really good. In 2014, Ariel Pink released the double album Pom Pom, which once again garners, garners critical raves. He wrote a lot of the songs on Pom Pom with Kim Fowley, who's that creepy guy who assembled the Runaways in the 70s, the teenage pop punk band Cherry Bomb. Ariel Pink was off my radar by the time Pom Pom came out. It's okay. It's, it's gorgeous and silly, like a lot of his other stuff. Ariel spends the next couple years scoffing at 4AD, how 4AD markets his stuff. He tours, and he also manages to insult Madonna. Shortly before the release of Pom Pom, Pink reported to the online journal Faster Louder that, quote, 
Interscope are calling me to help write Madonna's record. They need something edgy. They need songwriting. She can't just have her Avicii, her producers or whatever, come up with a new techno jam for her to gyrate to and pretend that she's 20 years old. They actually need songs. I'm partly responsible for that return to values thing. So for this and other statements, Ariel would be labeled a delusional misogynist by a number of fellow artists, including Grimes. He also did a bunch of collaborations on songs with with the following. Way's Blood, everyone's favorite Warren Bushing, Miley Cyrus, and one of my absolute favorite artists on the planet, Charlie WrestleMania, Charlie XCX. So, uh... Grimes thinks he's a pig, but all these other gals are are seeking his uh, help with songwriting. He's a divisive figure, no, no doubt about that. We come to 2016, and Ariel Pink has left 4AD and signed with Brooklyn label Mexican Summer, which is popping with their roster. Ariel is ready to record, and unlike his records for 4AD, the material that would become dedicated to Bobby Jameson is a return to the old school Ariel Pink recording aesthetic. This one he does at home, mostly by himself, with occasional help from a, a very small crew. Hey, homies. Dedicated to Bobby Jameson is official LP number 11 for Ariel Pink. It would be released on September 15th, 2017. Three of the songs on this album were released earlier than earlier that summer as singles, and um, we'll note those as we go through the album. So that he released three singles like four months before the album proper came out. The vinyl edition, which we're covering today, is 13 songs, just under 50 minutes. It's probably not his universally regarded best album, but it is my personal favorite and best encapsulates what I believe to be the essence of Ariel Pink. A muddy lack of focus with the power to break into your head and find its own spot in your tender little heart without sharing space with anything else. It's too unique for a roommate. Celebration of individuality. Party of one. Party of you. And maybe Bobby Jameson. Let's have a listen. Time to Meet Your God is the opening song. Bobby Jameson is loaded with bangers. This isn't one of them. But this song is a template of what Ariel Pink songs generally sound like. The hypnagogic lo-fi pop in prototypical form. So as said earlier, Ariel Pink is big into the philosophical idea known as hauntology and applies it to his music. The term hauntology was first coined by French philosopher Jacques Derrida in his 1993 book, Specters of Marx. Let me try and keep this simple. It's the idea that the present is constantly haunted by social and cultural elements of the past that never came to their intended fruition. Lost futures, if you will. Purgatory. So presence is primary. 
absence is secondary, and according to Derrida, many of the Marxist and socialist ideas of the past lay in between, haunting our present decision-making. Marxism is something that I have pretended to know what it is for over 40 years. Like somebody will say, uh, he or she is a, a Marxist. And it's like, oh, is that good or bad? I, I just don't know. Not going to get into it here either. I'm just going to go through life not knowing what Marxism is. In music, hauntology was first applied by electronic musicians in England like 25 years ago. They would slow down R&B tracks from the 60s through the 80s, creating that lo-fi ghost groove that Ariel would adapt and individualize to create his own unique weird soup. Portishead is a good example of English hauntologist uh, groove, I would say. I call bullshit on Jacques Derrida inventing hauntology. His book came out in 1993, Lost Futures, Trapped in Purgatory, Haunting the President. That's Beetlejuice, which came out in 1988. Give that fucking gold star to Otho. Uh, Feels Like Heaven is up next. Third single released off the album before it came out. Also has a music video you could check out on the U-Tizzle. Shoegaze vibe on this one. Ariel Pink has often been classified as a tough and space cadetish subject for music journalists to interview. But on the other side, he's highly regarded by many of his musician peers. Julian Casablancas, that big elk from The Strokes, he said this about Ariel Pink. Loose quote, fast and loose. If you grew up in a world where Ariel Pink was popular, then you would say, I don't see how Ed Sheeran can be popular. The red-haired guy. Alternate universe, Julian, shrimp cocktail, iron claw on her faces. I don't know what this next song is about, but I absolutely love it. Death Patrol. Well, I get like a 70s Hot Cops vibe from Death Patrol. It's like a mix of bear and twink cops getting little blue booty shorts running around the city, attempting to save people from themselves making bad decisions. Stop right there, mister. Song four is uh, Santa's in the Closet. Again, not a real clue what what this is uh, about, but I get a kick out of the Falco Rock Me Amadeus style in which Ariel sings these... uh, Warbled words. Oh, Rocky, all the time. Yeah. 
It's like a double entendre or whatever. Santa is trapped in a closet and can't give presents to children. That closet is Santa Claus's repressed homosexuality. Time to call the Death Patrol. Come get him, buzz. Okay, so the um, the first four songs are better than average, but standard Ariel Pink songs. Catchy, albeit disjointed melodies haunted by aesthetics of a lost future. The next three songs are a different animal to me. Dedicated to Bobby Jameson and Time to Live, close out side A, and then Another Weekend, which opens side B. This is one of my favorite three-song runs on any collection of music that I've ever heard. This, this is the hard part of the show when I'm like super emotionally invested in a song and then the payoff is I play a little ghetto-ass like half-cocked clip. It's like that I Love You Ant-Man movie when what's-his-face is, is playing Rush for that weirdly hot wife of his. Anyway, um, dedicated to Bobby Jameson, the album title track, that's up next. Uh, so catchy, and this song has a really good guitar solo in it. Despite the lyrics, the actual Bobby Jameson was not a Tinseltown tranny or mayor of the Sunset Strip. So who the fuck is he? Bobby Jameson was born in 1945 and became a singer-songwriter who gained a small cult following for his 1965 album Songs of Protest and Anti-Protest, which was released under the name Chris Lucy, L-U-C-E-Y. Bobby was an act, well, he was active in anti-Vietnam War protests, and he even took part in that famous Sunset Strip riot or the riots. He was uh, briefly touted as a rising star, but his career fizzled due to alcoholism, drugs, and general criminal activity. Come on the streets, the Death Patrol. Bobby became uh, disillusioned of the music business and life in general in the 1970s. Spent much of the decade homeless or institutionalized, often cursing the music industry for robbing him of royalties and opportunities, standard stuff like that. He completely disappeared and was presumed dead for many years until 2002 when Songs of Protest and Anti-Protest was reissued on CD without his consent. It's like he popped up out of nowhere. Aha! I got you motherfuckers. That's my album. So uh, Bobby eventually cleaned up and he started an autobiographical YouTube channel in 2007 that he maintained until his death in 2015. So Bobby Jameson is basically an underground figure with a cult following, guy with a lot of talent and charm, but ultimately a victim of self-sabotage. No wonder Ariel likes him, identifies with him. We uh, continue the Bobby Jameson three-song magic run with Straight up, one of my favorite songs ever, Time to Live. 
A clip of this sliz does not do it justice, needs to be heard in full and decant in the mind. But whatever, that's the show, and this is the song's peak. There's like a 40 second fade out in this uh, on Time to Live and you need it. To, it's it's not like you fast forward through it. You need it to like come down off this uh, off this song. There's a tremendous build and burst feeling to Time to Live that is like always exhilarating to me. I have no idea what instruments are playing what. It's just so unique and makes me appreciate the effort like the collective we make following the 50% rule and due diligence in the discovery of new music. Doing complete album listens, that's how you find time to live. I played this song at a barbecue in like summer 2018, which I never do. I don't like controlling the music at things. I'd rather take in someone else's taste, 50% rule. But I must have been uh, loose and I threw on TTL along with some other catchy all-action the next day, I received the greatest text in the history of my life from a friend. He wrote, yo, what was that song you played last night? And he like, I, I don't know what went from there, but it ended up being Time to Live. Like me, it is now one of his favorite songs. I'll tell you, living organisms, some of this, uh, some of the music in this world. Love you, Jared boy. Speaking of uh, getting loose at barbecues, we flip the record and move on to song seven, Another Weekend. I guess this song is more about weekend regrets. The most easily digestible track on the album. I love this song. Haunting and surreal. It sounds like a like a hangover. Another Weekend was the first single released off of Bobby Jameson. And go check out the music video for this song. It's funny. It's fantastic. Another day not working for me. Just an incredible three-song run. All of Al, uh, Ariel Pink's album art, pretty cool. Bobby Jameson covers awesome. Pink bubble letters, ghostly background. The photo on the back of the vinyl is of Ariel holding a pitchfork in front of a Bobby jo- Jameson uh, tombstone shrine. There's a sign sitting on the shrine with a Bobby Jameson quote that reads, The world is full of Tony Alamos. So Tony Alamo was a Christian cult leader who died in 2017, the same year this album was released. Bobby Jameson gone, Tony Alamo gone. We're going to need Otho. I Want to Be Young is up next. The falsetto cracks me up. I feel like this song is haunted very briefly by Easy Lover. 
fucking album's crazy. So, uh, I Want to Be Young is a song about growing old as Ariel realizes that as his body ages, his desires get left behind. Hauntological desires. So we move on to the ninth track, Bubblegum Dreams. Great pop rock song. This reminds me of Weezer or some shit. Ariel Pink's bare bones songwriting is incredible. The framework of, of these songs is just amazing. Mexican Summer, the label that released, uh, dedicated to Bobby Jameson, was started by two guys in a Brooklyn apartment in 2009. Began as a nicely packaged uh, subscription record of the month thing. A year later, in 2010, they put out Best Coast's Crazy For You album, which was uh, super popular. They have a lot of good stuff. Kurt Vile, Real Estate, Deer Hunter, Kate LeBon, and my favorite from their roster, roster history, the Alala's awesome band. Mexican Summer has some good shit. Next song, I think, is about an obnoxious jerk on a first date. Not sure. It's called Dream Date Narcissist. I have no idea who's playing guitar on this one, but they uh, they bring the heat. I think Ariel uses the uh, C word in the lyrics on Dream Date Narcissist. By the sea, by the sea, by the sea, you and me. By the sea, by the sea, by the C-U-N-T. There was a study taken by Match Lab that was released earlier this year that said after extensive polling and research that 68% of single American adults are open to kissing on the first date. That seems high to me. People are all fucked up in the face and mouth. Yes to kissing is not the default setting for me. No way. Another banger at 11, Kitchen Witch. Great melody that just seems effortless. Ariel Pink's girlfriend, Charlotte, provides the counterpoint vocals on Kitchen Witch. I can't get Death Patrol out of my head. Come on the street. 
I'll tell you who could have used assistance from the Death Patrol. The grunge hunks, some of them. Lane Staley, Kurt, Kurt Cobain, Kid Cardigan himself, and Dream Wolf, Chris Cornell. Stop right there, Kurt. Put that needle down, buster. Use words, not needles. Do Yourself a Favor is a nice acoustic number haunted by the jingle jangle of the 60s. That's up next. It's a love letter from Ariel to Bobby Jameson. Bobby seemed pretty uptight, but I think even he would appreciate that song. Dedicated to Bobby Jameson closes with acting. Ariel's vocals crack me up. They crack me up on this song. Acting has a featuring Dame Funk tag on it. Dame Funk is an electro boogie guy from Pasadena. One of only a few people with input on this other input on this record. There's a hidden track on the vinyl uh, version of dedicated to Bobby Jameson. It's called Ode to the Goat. It fades in after acting ends. On the digital version of the album, there's a crazy bonus track called Revenge of the Iceman. That's another funny song. Revenge of the Iceman is pretty good. So dedicated to Bobby Jameson was released in September 2017 and was praised in the same way as previous three had been. Uh, Thumbs up. The band toured, and it really needs to be observed at how wonderful Ariel Pink's live backing band is. These are songs that were never intended to be played live, and the fact that they can arrange them and get them out of the speakers should be commended. There's a, a very good live set from, I think, the Showbox in Seattle that the band played one month after this album came out. It's on the on the U-Tizzle. It's a good uh, slice of live Ariel Pink. There's not much of it. He, he generally sucks ass live. Plus, for that band, Ariel's tough to deal with. A lot of meltdowns and temper tantrums, even some legal disputes with songwriting credit and all that all that stuff. During uh, press for Dedicated for Bobby Jameson, all, um, or Dedicated to Bobby Jameson, all Ariel would talk about is Bobby Jameson. Not the album, The Mayon. So, next, Mexican Summer, they began reissuing expanded versions of Ariel's older haunted graffiti stuff. Underground, Lover Boy, and then an archival series called Oddities and Sodomies that had, you know, a lot of stuff that he didn't that he recorded in his room during that first eight years and wasn't used on any of the albums. This all stopped though in January two thousand twenty one 
Mexican Summer dropped Ariel Pink from the label because he was in attendance at the 2021 Capitol Riot. Ariel Pink is a huge DJT, DJT supporter. He got, he got the mark of the beast you know, off the indie rock label, off the indie rock map with you. Um, my person, my personal, that's, which is ridiculous. My personal belief is it was more than that. Remember, this is a guy who brought heroin into an urban Los Angeles commune. Ariel was always butting heads with labels and erratic in interviews, and they might've been looking for any excuse to get rid of him. I choose to believe that Mexican summer dropped him because he was an asshole and not because of who he supports politically. He was just in attendance at the event. It's not like he was sitting in Nancy Pelosi's chair. It should be noted that also in January 2021, Dr. Mario Rosenberg, the 73-year-old gastroenterologist father of Ariel, was sentenced to three years formal probation, 1,000 hours of community service, and ordered to pay $2.9 million in restitution for taking part in one of the largest medical insurance fraud prosecutions ever. Dr. Mario and a bunch of other physicians, they performed or referred over 1,000 unnecessary surgeries to people for better return on cosmetic surgery rates. Down and out in Beverly Hills, indeed. Ariel Pink, he's still at it, has a band called Ariel Pink's Dark Side, but I have not heard a lick of it. I can't uh, give my opinion on any of it. I was eager to hear more Ariel Pink following Bobby Jameson, but I eventually lost interest and stopped paying attention. Quickly moved on to explorations elsewhere. I might be a, a prude with kissing, but when it comes to music, all of my holes, including my ears, are open for business. Hey, thanks for listening, everyone. New album, new episode next week. Take care. Mm-hmm.